heavenly armor will enter the land. The battle belongs to the Lord. No weapon that's fashioned against us will stand. The battle belongs to the Lord. Greetings, I'm Will Tompkins, and this is the Narrow Way Podcast. In this episode, we'll be discussing Chapter 3, A Burden Lifted and a Journey Begun, in our source text, John Bunyan's timeless book, The Pilgrim's Progress, edited by C. J. Lovick. Let us begin with the Lord's instructions from James one twenty-two to 25 But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he who observes himself goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. So let us, Father God, be blessed this day as we witness the doing of your word and your will by our faithful pilgrim, and may we, Father, follow steadfastly thereafter. Amen. Well, by way of a review, when we last saw our pilgrim, he was departing the interpreter who bid him farewell with this. May the Comforter be with you always to guide you in the way that leads to the city. Now, you may recall that at the house of the Interpreter, our pilgrim, Christian, learned seven lessons, not the least of which was the burning wall, where the ongoing work of grace within Christian's heart was portrayed by showing Jesus pouring oil on the fire as Satan attempted to douse it with water. The oil used by Christ to keep the flame burning, representing a continuation of his sanctifying work, was from the olive tree. John Gill, in his exposition of the Bible, writes this, As the olive tree produces an oil used both for light and food, so they bring the gospel with them, which is the means of spiritual light and contains in it refreshing and delightful food. Now, on to today's lesson. Chapter 3 covers a great deal of ground, 12 topics in all. The wall of salvation, a burden lost at the cross, simple sloth and presumption, formalist and hypocrisy, the arbor, the hill of difficulty, timorous and mistrust, the lions, and the house beautiful. The four virgins, discretion, piety, prudence, and charity. The Lord's Supper and the full armor of God. And finally, walking down to the valley of humiliation. Now, the wall of salvation. So having received his blessing from the interpreter, Christian departs for the cross, traveling within a highway bordered on each side by the walls of salvation, which represent a way that is both secure and certain, like a protected, limited-access parkway. 
Quote, in that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks. Isaiah 26.1 None of this, of course, would be possible without first coming to faith in Jesus as both Lord and Savior. That's the gate. And now we turn to the cross. Now the title of this chapter is A Burden Lifted and a Journey Begun, which is quite appropriate here, isn't it? After all, you cannot begin your journey in earnest until you've come to the cross and received the sanctifying work of our Lord, a result of which is losing or giving up your burden. In Christian's case, as he came and stared at the cross, he pondered the Lord's work thereupon, and I quote, his burden came loose from his shoulders and fell off his back, tumbling down the hill until it came to the mouth of the tomb, where it fell in to be seen no more. And so, there at the foot of the cross, Pilgrim finds his relief, a relief that cannot be found anywhere else, because a burdened soul finds no peace until it trusts in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. Amen. Now as he stood there, mesmerized by the cross and all that it meant, three shining ones appear. They salute him, showing the love and grace of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they tell him his sins are forgiven. And they strip him of his rags, which is his unrighteousness. And they clothe him in a white robe of righteousness. This is the righteousness imputed to him by Christ. It is the only righteousness that matters. And they set a mark on his forehead, signifying a renewed mind attributed to the Holy Spirit. This renewal will appear in holy living and an open profession of faith. And he receives a scroll, a sign of his acceptance, an acceptance that will be made apparent as his views, his desires, and his purposes come into synchronicity with Scripture. And so Christian continues on his journey down the straight and narrow way, not knowing what lies ahead, but having had many lessons, he knows that the Lord of the place, which is Jesus, is with him. Amen. Now we meet simple and sloth and presumption. It's not long before he runs into them, Christian, our pilgrim. They're all sleeping. Christian encourages simple to wake up and see the danger, but he sees no danger and goes back to sleep. He encourages sloth to shed his procrastination, but sloth wants just a little more sleep. And he encourages presumption to wake up and see life as it really is but he just shrugs his shoulders and goes back to sleep. But alas, it's all to no avail. And of these three, Maureen Bradley writes, they are sleeping on the brink of perdition, a state of 
eternal punishment and damnation into which a sinful and unpenitent person passes after death. You know, in part two of this book, which is his wife's journey, Christiana, simple sloth and presumption are found hanged and brought down to hell. They not only caused their own destruction, but they sidetracked many other pilgrims. And now we meet formalist and hypocrisy. These two gospel cheats from the town of vainglory, which is inordinate pride in oneself or one's achievements or excessive vanity, they come tumbling over the wall, landing just behind Christian. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. John 10.1 Note that they did not come through that door. They did not come to the cross. They have not repented. They seek not holiness, and they have not pronounced Jesus as both Lord and Savior. They are content going through the motions, ceremonies without substance. They are doomed. Nevertheless, in the subsequent conversation, they tell Christian that they expect to get to the city and receive, quote, both praise and honor. A formalist view is this, writes Spurgeon. We do not mind being christened, confirm taking the sacrament, and going to church or chapel. But this repenting of sin, this believing, this clinging to Jesus Christ, this seeking after holiness, ah, it is all too much. They would rather tumble over the wall and bypass Christ and the cross. And on hypocrisy, Spurgeon writes, Hypocrisy, however, was the bigger rogue of the two for he had not any belief in the matter at all. Formalist had perhaps some measure of faith of a certain sort. He thought there might be something in the forms and ceremonies, but hypocrisy said in his heart, it is all a pretty story, but then it is a very respectable story, and if I pretend to believe it, people will think the better of me. Formalist and hypocrisy are everywhere, loved ones. Yes, even in our own churches. Stay alert. Do not think or even imagine there is an easier way. There is not. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Matthew seven fourteen. In the end, formalist and hypocrisy valued the praise of men more than the praise of Almighty God. And thus... Their attempt to bypass the hill of difficulty will end in everlasting death. As they parted, Christian told them, I walk by the rule of my master. You walk by the rude working of your own notions. You are condemned as thieves already by the Lord of the way. Therefore, I doubt you will be found as a true man at the end of the journey. You came in by yourselves without his direction, and you will go out by yourselves without his mercy. O loved ones, how do you walk this day? 
by the rule of your master or by your own notions. Now we come to the arbor and as a way of introducing the path up to that arbor, I'll read from an earlier text. I looked then after Christian to see him go up the hill where I perceived he fell from running to going and from going to clamoring upon his hands and knees because of the steepness of the place. Now about the midway to the top of the hill was a pleasant arbor made by the Lord of the hill for the refreshing of weary travelers. The Lord of the hill, of course, is Jesus. And now as he arrives at the arbor, Christian spends some time admiring the gifts he received at the cross. His scroll, and the main role or purpose of the scroll is to remind him of his faith and assure him of his salvation. And to this end, Christian's scroll plays many other roles throughout the allegory, such as symbolizing encouraging words, memory, a key, armor, and the fellowship of other believers. He also admired his coat, the imputed righteousness of Christ in which he was now clothed, and he delights in that God has provided all these things. He's admiring all that he has been given, and by so doing he falls into a deep sleep and drops his scroll. By sleeping during a time when God had given him light that he might walk, Christian was guilty of presuming upon the grace of God, and the scroll he so cherished fell out of his hand. He was essentially, loved ones, asleep at the wheel. So what's the purpose of the arbor? It is for the refreshment of weary travelers. It is a place to find strength, and encouragement along the way. But the arbor is not designed for lodging. It is not meant to distract travelers from continuing on their journey. It is a place to rest for a moment, for pilgrims to catch their breath and then press on. Listen, the arbor becomes a hindrance when Christian settles in, satisfied with where he is in his journey. And as a result, he fails to keep looking up the hill and beyond to his final destination. He forgets that his inheritance is in the city, not at the arbor. And as a result of the arbor and his subsequent journey up the hill of difficulty, Christian learns these spiritual truths. God is not content to leave his pilgrims in spiritual slumber and inactivity. His word can be applied to the comfort and rest of our souls, but it can also come to warn us, arouse us, and spur us to action. While he slumbers, Christian hears the Spirit and realizes that now is not the time to sleep, and he immediately arises and hurries up the hill of difficulty. For the Spirit had said, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Proverbs 6 6. The cost of indolence and carelessness, demonstrated by his losing his scroll, forces him to cover the same ground, not once, not twice, but three times. 
Are we not sometimes guilty of the same trespass, loved ones? Let us examine our own walks to make sure we are taking rest when needed and that we are not fast asleep at the wheel. And may we continually drink of his holy word. Amen. Let's continue with Christian's journey on the hill of difficulty now and consider why he will have to return to the arbor. At this point, so difficult is the way that our pilgrim Christian is crawling up this hill on his hands and knees. Have you had experiences like this, where there seems to be no end to the trial, no easing of the struggle, no lifting of the weight upon your shoulders? Christian is learning the need for perseverance, just as we must do in our own lives, loved ones. Paul writes to us, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Jesus Christ has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Philippians 3.12.14. Amen. Note here that at the bottom of the hill of difficulty there is a spring placed there by the very hand of the living God. It is for refreshment prior to difficulty that inevitably lies ahead. And so what is that spring? Well, it represents his promises in the living word. So when God conceals his purposes, you can safely keep standing on his promises. Isaiah 49.10, They shall not hunger nor thirst, neither shall the heat nor sun smite them. For he that hath mercy on them shall lead them, even by the springs of water shall he guide them, Amen. The message here is clear, isn't it? When burdens weigh heavily upon your shoulders, don't give up. He will refresh you. So finish the race. Next up, we meet timorous and mistrust. Timorous is one showing or suffering from nervousness, fear, or a lack of confidence. Mistrust is one who is suspicious of or has no confidence in. And as Christian reaches the top of the hill, he sees them running towards him the wrong way, away from the city, full of terror, yelling, turn back, turn back. Now Christian knows that if he does, he will be doomed and wisely selects to push forward. Christian has learned There is no turning back, and thus continues his journey to House Beautiful. Now, as Christian approaches House Beautiful, he unexpectedly finds it's guarded by two lions, one on either side of the walkway leading up to the house. And the lions were the cause of timorous and mistrust, terrible fright and flight. 
You see, in the face of what they perceive, their skepticism and lack of confidence in God's word provided them with no solid ground upon which to stand. And so they turned away from the Lord and ran, which, of course, never ends well. It is here, confronting the lions, that Christian learns the enormous life-changing cost of unbelief. The lions represent hindrances, a resistance or delay, not an impasse. In the end, whether you persevere through your own lions or not, is about your faith or your unbelief. Spurgeon remarks, Unbelief generally has a good eye for the lions, but a blind eye for the chains that hold them back. It is quite true that there are difficulties in the way of those who profess to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We do not desire to conceal this fact, and we do not wish you to come amongst us without counting the cost. But it is also true that these difficulties have a limit which they cannot pass, like the lions in the pilgrim's pathway. They are chained and restrained and absolutely under the control of the Lord God Almighty. Amen. O Father God, when we are confronted with these lions, may our faith provide us the resolve to stand firmly upon your promises. Amen. Now let's listen to the Lord's own words from Mark 8, 34 to 37. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Now notice that the Lord in this admonition does not say, unless, of course, you're afraid. No. He says, take up your cross and follow me. For fear is overcome by faith. Now arriving at House Beautiful, Christian learns the importance of uniting with a local body of believers by which Bunyan means the place of special Christian fellowship, the Church of God on earth. The path to House Beautiful represents a sincere desire to do God's will, without which there can be no real Christianity, only a weak and ineffective church. Note that he is not immediately admitted to the palace without inquiry into his profession of faith which is what pastors and deacons and elders do before accepting one into membership. Seeking external evidences of a person's faith is quite appropriate, but of course, only God himself can see the internal evidence. And from Spurgeon, we hear, Now the porter, whose name is Watchful, represents the good minister or pastor who ought to be ever watchful for souls. He told the pilgrim to keep in the midst of the path. And we give you the same advice. Live consistently, walk carefully, not right at the edge of the way, 
as though you were half inclined to wander from it, but on the crown of the causeway, right in the middle of the king's highway, walk in integrity and uprightness, whatever may be the consequence for doing so. For a while, difficulties may dismay you, but they really cannot hurt you. The lions are chained. Now to begin the inquiry, watchful calls for the four virgins. The first of these is discretion. She represents the elders and or the deacons of a church by whom prospective members are examined. She asks from whence he came, that is, if he knew what he was by nature. For if you do not know that you are a sinner by birth and actions, you do not really begin to know anything aright. And she was pleased to know he had come the correct way, through the narrow gate. And the next is piety. And piety speaks of true piety, because without it, a sincere desire to do God's will, there can be no real Christianity, only a weak and ineffective church. And now prudence. And she examines his heart. Why? Because, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Matthew 15, 9. And in the conversation with Prudence, Christian is made to examine his own heart. Prudence represents believers who understand spiritual matters and know how to search the heart. Remember the wall of fire? She asks, how does he vanquish the evil of his soul? And he answers, it is by the cross that we are enabled to conquer sin. Amen. Paul writes, For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is a sin living in me that does it. Romans 7.19 Now the fourth virgin is Charity, and she wants to know about his family. So he shares the story of his wife and his four sons, his earnest striving and praying for them to flee from the wrath that is to come by coming to Christ Jesus. The message to his family was the same message we give to the lost today. Give your life to God while there's still time. She wants to make certain that he did all he could to bring them on the journey. Now, in part two of the original book, his wife, Christiana, and their four boys come to the Lord by way of the Holy Spirit's intervention and follow the same narrow way. But even though it is the same way, their experiences are quite different. And as the inquiry ends, the four virgins, discretion, piety, prudence, and charity, enlighten Christian about Holy Communion and they celebrate it with him. And now, even though he is anxious to be on his way, the four maidens convince Christian to stay for just one more thing, one more instruction. And as you'll find out in the next episode, 
he will be eternally grateful for having done so. And what is this one more thing? It is the full armor of God, described in Ephesians 6.10-17. through 17. Let's read it together, loved ones. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the very word of God. Ephesians 6.10.17 Christian is now equipped to begin the next part of his journey. But even after all the instruction and the prayer and support, he realizes that going down the hill into the valley of humiliation is going to be more difficult and dangerous than it was climbing up the hill of difficulty. Yes, said Prudence, it is a hard thing for a man to go down into the valley of humiliation, which is where you are headed. It is difficult to go down the hill without slipping and falling, which is why we are going to accompany you down the hill. Loved ones, this represents the love, the unity, and the support of the church family. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, enable us to use the seasons of grace that you grant us for the building up of our spiritual muscles, for those times of struggle that are so often upon us. And in doing so, Father God, let us grant you all the glory and the honor forever and ever and evermore. In the name of our Lord Christ Jesus, amen. Well, our next episode, loved ones, will be chapter 4 in our source text, The Valley of Humiliation and the Battle with Apollyon, one of the most terrifying and majestic of all battles. Until then, may the Comforter be with you always to guide you in the way that leads to the city.